0: So this is a different type of episode. This is not me analyzing a language term. It's a language term that I made up, created up myself. It's called the altruistic shield. And it's um, the article that I am in the process of trying to get published with a Small journal, which would be my first official publication, but also it was presented at the New York State TESOL conference in White Plains on November 15th. Um, so I'm just going to let you hear the presentation. You might think that's weird because it was a visual presentation, but honestly, I've listened to it and you can pretty much follow everything that I'm saying. You know, you don't actually need the visuals. Although, if you'd like me to send you the notes, I can do that. You will obviously have access to my Twitter feed. So the only thing that you can't do is there's a couple of points when I tell the people to have discussions and you obviously can't have a discussion with the people in the room, so you just get to listen to them talk for about three minutes twice. Um, Maybe you can walk away or maybe you can have a discussion with someone that you want to listen to with. I don't know. Or you can just skip those three minutes. In each case, both times, it's about three minutes. I uh, wanted to leave it in and make it more authentic. So those two times, yes, you will feel left out because you are not in, per- in person, but otherwise you should be able to follow. Um, I was really proud of this presentation. It was really well received and I think I pulled it off. Um, the audio is better than usually is for these things because I don't know, I talk pretty loud and um, I hope you enjoy the presentation. Of the altruistic shield oh by the way what is the altruistic shield it's my conceptualization of a specific type of defensiveness that elt professionals have we think that what we do helps the world and because of that we aren't all that inclined to admit that we are a part of systemic racism and therefore we don't do what we can to fight it that's what it means Okay, can you, can you see? Is it clear enough at all? All right, so uh, let's talk about some systemic racism, everyone's most comfortable favorite topic. Uh, my name is, well, it's Justin Gerald, although I've been going by JPB Gerald for the purpose of publication because it's just gonna be my last name anyway. So, this is the Altruistic Shield. We're talking about race and critical literacy and English language teaching, and let's get started. I wish that there was a clicker, but there is not. So, today's agenda, only got about half an hour, one thing I would ask, please, when I ask to discuss, move closer to people, because I'm still a language teacher, I'm going to have you all talk to each other at some point, so just be aware that that's going to occur. Uh, Who am I? I am going to explain that, because this is my conceptualization, and my positionality and so forth are relevant to what I'm talking about here, so I think it's important to bring it up. What is the altruistic shield? Kind of important to define it. I will in a second. Basically, though, it's a defense mechanism that prevents language teachers and other social service workers from engaging with systemic inequity, particularly racism. I will give you a handout with all of this at the end. Don't worry. Uh, Why does it matter? Well, I would hope we understand why systemic racism matters. But it matters for our students, who are usually students of color. It matters for us. And it matters for our colleagues. And finally, what can we do about it? Because I think it's It's great to just say, here is a problem, but if people don't actually take the next step and propose practical concrete steps that we can do to counteract it, then there's not that much point in detailing the problem. All right? So who am I? This one should be the easiest one for me. (laughs) Professionally, I am currently a curriculum developer and employee trainer. I am an employee of CUNY um, School of Professional Studies although I don't really work on the campus or anything. I train city workers for the city of New York. They're not teachers. I'm not actually a language teacher right now, but my background, like all of you, is in TESOL. I got my MA at the new school in 2012, and I have about nine years in various TESOL roles and some managerial roles. Started in Korea, like many people start overseas. Academically, these days, I am in my second year, fourth semester as an EDD student at Hunter in instructional leadership which is a very vague title but basically I feel like the degree means I'm being changed I'm being trained to affect change in my field and I've chosen to focus my research on the intersection between race and language education and finally this is the part I told you I was going to tell you about personally in case you can't tell I'm black I've always been black but um, one of the things that's important about that is that I didn't really think too much about what impact that was having on me and my work until a couple of years ago. I was always pretty much the only blackface where I was, aside from with my family, obviously, and I started doing some reading and really thinking about what psychological, emotional, mental, et cetera, impacts that was having, and it really started to bother me. So I started to talk to people about it, and I realized, People don't really want to talk about race, especially when it comes to language education, even though we are usually teaching students of color. So what tended to happen when I would bring up race, people would get defensive, right? There's a couple of different things that they would say when they were defensive, right? First they would say, well, race is just a social construct. They're missing an article there. Sorry about that. Uh, race is just a social construct. Well it's a power construct, but whatever kind of construct it is, it doesn't really matter because it still has an impact on people. So, fine. Or they would bring up these things. They would talk about culture or diversity. Now, culture is very important. I've probably heard that word about 45 times today, but it's not the same thing as race. So, you're sort of going a little bit to the right or the left when you're talking about culture when someone brings up race. And diversity... I suppose it's a useful word depending on how it's used but it's been diluted beyond recognition at this point so probably don't bring that up when someone talks about race and especially when you're talking about oppression. Or they would say that they weren't racist which is not what I said but that was very clear that they wanted me to know that they weren't racist and I got tired of arguing with people because arguing with people about race doesn't really change anybody's mind. So I started reading and writing, because I'm a nerd, and I decided that there had to be a way to describe all the things that were happening in these conversations and in the field, and I came up with the term which I called the altruistic shield. So, that is a lot of words, don't worry, I have that exact same definition on this paper that I'm going to give you. But basically, the altruistic shield is a psychological mechanism among ELT professionals, which allows us to exempt ourselves from acknowledging our role in perpetuating systemic racism and other forms of inequity by virtue of the altruistic or self-sacrificial nature of our work. I said the whole thing without taking a breath. That's good. All right, please pass these around, it has all this on it. So I don't want to say this only happens among our field, right? This is not just a language teacher thing. I'm speaking of language teachers because I am a language teacher, but you would see this sort of thing in social work. You would certainly see this sort of thing in medicine. You would certainly see this sort of thing in nonprofits. I spent a long time in nonprofits and boy do you see it there. Right? Anything that can be seen like professionally as a social good. But since this is my background, I chose to focus my conceptualization on ELT and because I want to do my writing in that field, that's just where it is. But it doesn't mean we are the worst or we're bad or something like that. That's just what I do or what I have been doing. Now, I chose the uh, first person here because I'm not pointing the finger out at all of you, right? I am part of this as well. Just because I'm black doesn't mean I can't perpetuate systemic racism. Um, I started my career by accepting a native speaker only job in Korea. I hadn't thought about it at the time. I didn't realize it was necessarily a problem. I was 21, but that's not really an excuse. I've worked at some shady for-profit schools around New York where the students were treated as just commodities and not people, so just because I am saying this doesn't make, I'm not trying to present it as though I am better than the people who are in the field. I am doing exactly the same thing as others. and. I want to be clear that this is something we all have to work on. You can't just not be part of systemic racism because you decided you weren't personally racist. That's kind of the whole point. A brief, oh, right, that's the next slide. Just some examples of systemic racism in the field, some things you may know, but maybe you don't. Uh, I just talked about this, right, when they recruit Native teachers. They don't say white Native teachers, but that's kind of what they mean a lot of the time. Uh, I know... Jack was talking about potentially going overseas to teach, right? That's something that I experienced and I know that it was harder for me to get that job because of my race and I did not know that. I got the job because I had a quote unquote elite undergraduate degree. Now the, and then even in private language schools, the opinions and the experiences of white teachers are valued over their colleagues as shown in the study cited here. All the studies are at the end of the presentation if you want to look them up. Flores and Rosa, in a very important article and several articles since then, have conceptualized what they call racial linguistic ideologies. I sound like I'm out of breath. Let me slow down. Um, And they focus on the perceived deficiencies of racialized users of the language, people who were using the same words in the same way but are perceived as deficient because of their race or their skin tone, because the language is often conceptualized in the point of view of the oft-unmentioned white listener. We say we're talking about the speaker, but it's thought of from the way that the white listener will or will not understand the speaker. Kubota, who has been writing about racism in TESOL for like 15 years, and she's still doing it, bless her for it, uh, she talks about how academic language itself is racialized. And when we talk about English for academic purposes, we're generally talking about this, even though we don't say it what we consider legitimate and universal, contains a racially discriminatory component. And then back to what I was saying before, we've been talking about native speaker in the field since before I was born. The oldest article I could find on native speakerism being a problem was from like 1984. Um, I guess I gave away my age there. But uh, the point is that it's not just language or nationality, there's a racial aspect, but like all of these things, we just don't really talk about it too much. And a brief note about intersectionality. Sometimes when I bring this up, people say, well, there's other forms of oppression. That is true. I agree. I'm focused on this because we don't really talk about race. But I agree that if you are trying to take anti-racist actions like I'm recommending, you can't just leave out other forms of oppression, right? I say we should do things that are anti-racist, and then you do something that's misogynist. That's not good. (laughs) <laughs> all right. It's not like we can only work on this one thing. It's like, no, part of anti-racism is all these other forms of oppression. All right? We can't just simply ignore these other issues. So, well, I basically said this already. But basically, yes, we should be feminist, we should work against capitalism, all of these things that are causing these types of oppression, they're all intertwined in a deep, destructive and dangerous way. So, now, People may want to argue about some of the terms I've included here. I'm focused on the racism aspect, but I just wanted to be clear that I'm not ignoring other forms of oppression because they're all tied together in the field. So let's talk a little bit about the things that combine to make the altruistic shield. Some of these terms you probably heard before. Some of these terms you may not have, and some of them it just depends on the way that I'm choosing to use them, so we'll talk about each one in a moment. First, I mean if you can't see that, Microsoft Word only has so many graphics. I was trying to make like a martini glass and then like it's like a cocktail and then it becomes, couldn't find a shield, I don't know. They told me to put in diagram, people like diagrams. All right so a psychologist named Schuster wrote compliance of behavior with the norm stabilizes effective well-being. Basically, choosing this field or similar fields makes people feel good about themselves, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I feel good about myself when I teach the language, but that's not a problem. The problem is it creates sort of a cognitive dissonance when we realize we are potentially a part of something harmful if we don't do this with care and with intention, and that is often a little bit more difficult for racially majoritized teachers to handle, but it's not easy for me either. Altruism is obviously not a bad thing I'm not saying everyone go be selfish that's not that's not what I'm saying alright it's a problem when it's misused as an excuse for not challenging the oppression and other forms of discrimination in the field saying oh well what I do is a good thing therefore I don't have to think about that stuff that's kind of the whole what's the altruistic shield that's half the, the conceptualization just an example Uh, And this doesn't mean never take a picture with your students. But if you're telling stories or taking pictures with smiling students and their inner life is never part of that story, right? They're just an accessory to what you're talking about. Or maybe you talk about their exoticized culture and how different their culture is or their cuisine. Like, oh my God, my Mexican student ate some cockroaches or something. And you don't really talk about how, you know, their actual lives beyond that doesn't necessarily help. The second part, and don't worry, I'm gonna pause and slow down after I get through these three points. Colorblind racism. So this is the kind of thing where you may have heard where people say they don't see color, right? I don't see color, I don't see color. Well, first of all, yes, I understand calling it colorblind is an ableist term, it's just the term that's used, so I'm just using what's being used. But basically, the problem with colorblind racism is that it doesn't remove privilege or discrimination. When you say you don't see color, you're not seeing a part of a person or a part of their life, so you're just ignoring that part of their reality. And as Robin DiAngelo points out, and she's going to come up again with right fragility, it, because of our adherence to individualism in this country and in Western society generally, it prevents us from understanding our place in a larger systemically racist system. Systemically racist system is kind of redundant. You get what I'm saying uh and so we think that if we don't do these individual bad things then we aren't part of the big racism right so for example teaching these racialized students exempts us from racism in other words we are raised socialized informed taught to believe that racism is contained within the bad people right all of racism is like the people who went to charlottesville a couple of years ago and so by doing good things, like teaching English to racialized people, we are thus not a part of racism, and so we silence racialized voices. Again, a lot of this is not intentional, which is the whole point. This is not about explicit behavioral racist acts. This is not hanging a noose outside of some place. Like These are very bad things, but that's not what I'm talking about. right? These are smaller things that we're doing without really thinking about it that I want us to think more deeply about. An example, which I hear a lot, which I hate, Uh, When we advocate for diversity of thought, when someone says we need more racial diversity and they say we need diversity of thought, right? It's just a good way to silence the issue of racism or racial discrimination depending on what the conversation is. And finally there's white fragility. Now you may have heard of this concept, may have read the book. This term is all the rage, and I mean that literally because it makes some people really angry. (laughs) Uh, If you get angry, we can talk about it afterwards. But uh, basically the definition is a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. And this is the defensiveness, the shield part that I'm talking about in the name of the uh, concept. So this is where people bring up race or racism and people argue they belittle the speaker, they get angry, there's denial, anything but sitting with the reality. Because if you feel uncomfortable, it's okay if you just sit there. Like that's okay. People say they feel uncomfortable when they talk about these things, and then you imagine how people who are in racialized bodies feel all of the time. So yeah, you can be uncomfortable, it's okay. The defensiveness that's endemic to white fragility prevents the growth necessary for effective teaching of racialized students. And again, you know, I keep repeating myself, but like we think, well, I'm talking about language, not race, but if you look at some of the articles that I've cited, which again, you will have the um, references at the end, you will see that you can't really talk about language without keeping race and racism in mind, unfortunately. This is an example of our fragility, although I would hope you wouldn't need any. Recently, as in last month, Professor Jeanine Capocrucet, who's a Latinx woman, was giving a talk about her book at Georgia Southern University. The book would focus on white privilege. She gave a presentation. The presentation went fine, and then several students got together to burn her book, thereby thereby proving her point. So people then, you know, people came out and support her afterwards, and then you saw people on the Internet saying, it's a great sign that people came out to support her afterwards, forgetting the fact that people had gotten together to burn her book in the first place. So, all right, so those are the three parts of it. Let's pause for a second, it's a lot of stuff there. Now you might be thinking, because who's gonna come to this presentation if they completely disagree with me? This doesn't describe me. I don't see myself as some sort of savior. I know enough now in 2019 not to say I'm colorblind and I won't pretend I'm immune to perpetuating systemic racism. That's good. It'll probably describe somebody you've worked with in the field or someone you've come across, even if it's not accurate for you yourself. So now, on your paper, one side says summary, one side discussion. Go to the discussion side. Oh, if you don't have the paper, there's, there's extra somewhere around there. So this is why they should have given me a, a volunteer instead of myself. <laughs> Thank you. All the other things have. Oh, I'm my own <laughs> So anyway, now you have to talk to each other. So, turn to your neighbor, or neighbors plural, whatever, it doesn't have to be one, it could be two people, and ask, have you witnessed, or personally, you can read it, personally express colorblind racism, white fragility, or some espousal of altruism as an excuse in your career in ELT. I'm going to give you, I don't know, three minutes. Go ahead. I'm <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: just <laughs> You can't say something just like, oh, okay. yeah. I had Basically, you the man, uh, Yeah. people have so, uh, uh, the 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 they go ahead, go to a the conversation. So that's become one of i don't, I don't do teach them so to do it, because they're going to have because to so my challenge and the was not to express so, all to follow up on that. She understand what it was. that she was to do I've been on the receiving end, I've been on the receiving of it well i just mean things like that and so that I and I don't I want to have to much it's <laughs> is
0: probably not that I mean I think you could actually just want to know and to try this all
1: right,
0: one more minute one one more
1: to do But to
0: Yeah. Okay. All right, folks. You'll have more, there's another discussion later. <laughs> another discussion. All right. Glad people were talking. We'll have a chance to share out a little bit later. So, great. What we can do about it. Uh, I don't have all of the solutions. I don't know where you work or study or whatever. Um, so I can't really say, well in your place the situation is like this, or here's what you do on a daily basis, change it to that, I I can't really say. I can really only say these two things that I think everybody can do, and broadly they are challenge your context and change your consumption. What do I mean by those things? Alright, so, challenging your context. Wherever, I know it's a lot of words, it's okay. Uh, wherever you work or study or live, but I'm talking about the field, so uh, there's racism there, there's systemic racism there because that's what systemic means, right? As critical race theorists would tell you, racism is ordinary and it's pervasive, right? You can't just like, oh, I'll just go over here and the racism won't be there. It's not, it doesn't work that way, especially not in the United States. Uh, If you think about your context, whether it's your school, as in where you teach, or where you study, or both, not sure what what your daily life is like, there will be some kind of pattern, right? some kind of policy or practice, no matter how outwardly committed, or if they put that little thing at the bottom of their job, ads about equity and all that, uh, your context claims to be. And if you think about it, there is some question that you can ask. Maybe you aren't in charge. Probably you're not in charge, but even if you're not, there is someone that you can ask a question to, right? You can lower the shield, as I mean conceptually, and just question some of the patterns that have led to whatever issue you're speaking about. Now, there is no guarantee this will change the patterns if you choose to ask questions, but there is a guarantee that they will not change if you don't ask the questions. So I'm really just saying ask the questions. I'm not expecting you to come up with any solutions. I'm go- I'll send it to you. you take the whole thing. You don't have to try to do that. All right, and then changing your consumption. So I don't know what you spend your time reading. Who's writing it? You know? Do they offer alternative perspectives, or are they reifying and replicating the accent dialogue? Who is in their bibliography? Right? I'm not saying don't read white authors or something like that. I'm not saying don't read people from this country or whatever. And frankly, if you look at a list of names in the bibliography, you don't necessarily know. But if you think about it, right, if you spend a little bit of time in the bibliography, because I know sometimes if you read a journal article or a book, you say, I want to read those articles that it cited, right? Well, maybe when you start to look at these citations, you'll see, wait, they're kind of citing the same six people over and over again. I had a slide in here originally but I wasn't entirely sure how hard the data was and I didn't want people to be like, well, you know. But I've been doing some uh, research personally about citations and one of the things I've found is that articles that, at least in my judgment, have been seeking to challenge the status quo cite like twice as many authors of color than articles that don't. So if you are looking at articles that challenge the status quo, chances are you're gonna read a lot more people who look a little bit different. Think about your own piece of writing. If you are someone who has published or is trying to publish or whatever, can you change, can you update how many voices of color are in your bibliography? Again, I said earlier, I'm not saying this is the only type of oppression or exclusion there is, so obviously you should include more women, more people from different countries, religions, and so forth. But if I say say just all forms of diversity, then racism will get lost and that's my point. So now you can, oh right, forgot about this slide. As we saw in the most recent book by Dr. Kendi, racial inequity is a problem of bad policy, not bad people. That is not to be taken all the way in the other direction so as it absolves actual bad people of what they're doing. However, it's the policies that really need to change. I really don't care how good of people people are. It's just the policies and the patterns that they're practicing. So if you seek out, cite, share, because sometimes you're not writing anything, but you could be saying, hey, read this article with your colleagues or your friends or other people in the field. Is this gonna take systemic racism out of the field? No, because it was founded on it, just like the country. But if we all deepen our critical literacy, because you're wondering where was that in the subtitle? There it is. If we read, share, and cite different sources, we can make the smallest of shifts in power, because power is really what it's about, and may one day tip the balance towards those who have been marginalized. So now, you can talk again. This is the second discussion, it's also, it's also on the paper, but think about, all right, so I mentioned two things in challenging your context or citing different sources, sorry, or uh, changing your consumption. What is one thing you can do? Could be those things, could be something else, that will work against systemic racism, either in your context or in the field in general. Take two to three more minutes on this one. Go ahead. Talk to them. Let, let, let <laughs> We
1: trying to, Really yeah. are uh, so like, uh, uh, you know, the, the first I was like you know were like, 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 yeah. 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 like right. you know yeah. they were and I ordered it right I'm really, trying to you out. really time and you know, love stories makes you love warmer. So that was, um, I don't know, you know, but, but it's um, And the students do gravitate towards, you see things you know, they um, you know, fly off the shelves. Um, and that was what they said to to a picture, picture our of oh, yeah. and, and, I cool. and just, so, just yeah. so, um, so that was the idea yeah. before so about that I don't think that was a conversation so the like like American scientists and uh, yeah. uh, several just you know? They look All
0: right, one more minute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and all of these are just going to be a percent. They were young. They were young. They were young. They were All right, folks.
0: Folks, we gotta gotta wrap it up here. I'm gonna go outside and talk afterwards. So if anybody wants to talk about it. But anyway, so. Let's tie off this knot. So I'm sure we know this. We were once warned how easy it is for education to function as a tool of oppression, many of us, myself included, we read fairy in our teacher training programs. But somehow, probably because of the powerful socialization in our world, we don't really internalize it. We don't always work against it. And we still impose our prescriptive values upon our learners. We go all the way back to Du Bois, right, 19th century, which is a fun citation in APA because there were no pages, I don't know. Um, but still it really was like, I don't know what to do. But um, the concept of double consciousness is still relevant today. And our students, most of them, are racialized. They're students of color. So they're still going out in the world, and they're dealing with this double consciousness, which causes a huge psychic strain. And if we are not supporting them in this endeavor in how to actually live successfully, then we're not doing our jobs as well as we could. So by challenging our context, changing our consumption, and by whatever else you all suggested to each other just now, we can avoid falling prey to the altruistic shield behind which we might otherwise hide. The teaching of English has never been a neutral act. That doesn't mean it's always negative, but it's never been neutral. We professionals must place ourselves at the forefront of the fight against the pervasiveness, systemic racism, and white supremacy in English language teaching. But well, we can only do this if our field stops hiding behind their altruistic shield. All right, so any final questions before we sign off? So, why isn't this. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I can't all talk, a- <laughs> a Ooh, we'll talk about this. Hide it. I yeah, did not, I well, no, I, I chose 35 minutes, so it wasn't them.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you chose so you're self well. <laughs> internalized racism Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I didn't, uh, I don't know, I just didn't know how long the presentation would be, so I decided to start small, and I also thought i have a higher chance of getting in if it was shorter. So, I got in. So. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> What's
1: next
0: for you in this work? Uh, I'm trying to get a couple pieces published. Um, I have one up for the nice TESOL journal so we'll see what happens there. Um, I was in the American Association of Applied Linguistics newsletter which isn't really a journal and just a lot of writing more podcasting more just s- trying to speak publicly about it in ways that people might want to actually listen to. Let's test the idea yeah um, Have
1: you read the article Colonizing Wild
0: I actually haven't read that. I've heard it, but I haven't read that one.
1: You know, it's something I've been, I was introduced to like in the fall this year, and I've been thinking a lot about how as a teacher can I, you know, I have been really thinking about my the text in my classroom. I teach elementary school, so it's much easier for me to find materials um, that represent the voices of all my students. But, you know, how do I kind of Preserve or or allow students to bring that um, whatever is their heritage or their race or however you want to put it, um, and, and incorporate that into their academic experience without kind of like <coughs> you know of course teaching them about academic academic language and everything, but not uh, repress. For, for, or repressing any of their uh, things that make them who they are.
0: I don't want to say that what you should and shouldn't do so much as I think it's just important as long as you're really thinking about that, that's a lot more than most people are doing. That doesn't mean you can't do it wrong, like, right. you, like you could still screw up, <laughs> but you have to take <laughs> the chance that you might screw up and then you have, then you know, if you do it half right or half wrong, it's better than just not thinking about it because you're not gonna do it right that way. Okay, but final questions or anything? Oh, I, I'll be outside in a second, so I'll just, Joe, you want to oh, go ahead and what's your podcast? Oh, um, it's on the taper actually. Oh. <laughs> um, so, my contact, there we go. My contact information's on the handout, including Twitter thing and the podcast and address is all on there. You can reach out if, I send you the presentation, although they say that they're posting all of the stuff from all the presenters on the website afterwards, so I will be one of those people You know what my name is. Uh, and if you just want to talk about things, you want to collaborate in some way, or if you just want to connect, so thank you for attending and listening, and that's you. it. All.